You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast alongside Joe Hopkins. I'm Dave Griffiths, and the venerable Mike Chappell is joining us via the power of Beach Grove Wi-Fi as well, staying over there to prep for some Jim Ursay availability coming up later this afternoon. Mike, uh, we're glad to have you, even though it is a virtual meeting once again. As long as I pay my utilities, my Wi-Fi works, so we're good to go. <laughs> we, we certainly hope so. Hey, we got a big show coming up, so training camp previews continuing for the Colts, breaking down the state of the defense. Hey, Joe, I mean, they're going to be back next week, so this is about to get really busy for us. We're finishing up with defense today. That's right. I can't wait. The defense, I think, is a little more uh, up in the air than the offense was that was our conversation last week so i'm ready to get into it and uh, have some debates with yes, you guys our, our, our debates will certainly be forthcoming we'll also list our top five most irreplaceable colts for 2021 uh that that's discussion really stemming out of the fact that st uh no, st louis rams geez what what year is this los <laughs> angeles rams running back cam Akers went down this past week with a season-ending injury um certainly never hope that happens to anyone and so we'll we'll let you know who we think would be the uh the colts that the team could most ill afford to lose for the coming season but first we start with news around the league and we begin with peyton manning uh certainly something that will appeal to colts fans but also to nfl fans Peyton, along with his brother Eli, are set to broadcast 10 Monday night football games each of the next three seasons. This is something that's happening um, through uh, ESPN2, so it's going to be a separate broadcast from the main broadcast. But, uh, but Joe, this is uh, it, it, you never know exactly what you're going to get with, with Peyton and, and Eli, but uh, and they didn't give out too many details. I think it's just to whet the appetite for the sports fans, but... But uh, this is something that that has the potential, I think, to be a really cool addition to the lineup. I'll certainly be tuning in to whatever broadcasts they do. I know there's been some complaints over the years about the ESPN Monday Night Broadcast broadcast crew. I know Booger uh, Booger has been the butt of some jokes over the past few years. But um, this gives fans the new options, and I can't wait to see what Peyton has to say. That uh, chap, I'm sure that uh, I mean you know Peyton as well as anybody in the media has. This is this is going to be, I think, an inter- an entertaining broadcast and an informative broadcast if it goes to what we know about uh, just how he has handled himself in the past through opportunities that are similar to this one. Well, anyone who's who's watched his his Peyton places, uh, they're just outstanding. Some better than others, but they're all informative entertaining he's just so polished he's so darn polished at whatever he does the only question i've got and it may be silly to ask is can you get too much of a good thing maybe we'll find out espn's not the least bit worried they finally lassoed peyton manning so they they love that uh and something else that we can talk about briefly and you more than anyone else dave but it seems strange that all of a sudden espn's going to cut into its own viewership from the main game Peyton and Eli are not going to be doing play-by-play to my understanding it's going to be more of a analyst and they're going to have people in the studio or at least on on the air so it's kind of a little bit strange the way I look at it that you're gonna you're gonna hurt the ratings of Monday Night Football you just are but they're apparently okay with that to, to pick up viewership on ESPN too yeah, I, th- I think if if it comes down to to a net positive for ESPN, then then they're happy with it. If what ESPN plus ESPN two is now is better than what ESPN plus ESPN two was last year, then they'll count that as a good thing. Even if, as you said, it will take away, which I I, I think you're right. I think it probably will take away from the main ratings. But I, I think kind of bringing back in, in what Joe said, I think maybe ESPN could be trying to stop the bleeding because they haven't got that one great Monday night football broadcast team like they, they've gone through different teams the past decade or two decades even is what it's come down to right now um espn f- forever wanted monday night football and espn to be to be in one sentence then they finally got it and they've had it and it's been fine but they just haven't had that one team that uh kind of was far and away unquestioned as one of the best i think in the league i think Tariko and gruden were good very good but gruden wanted to get back into coaching i think everybody knew that that was always something that was on his mind so it was not ever a permanent solution for them so they, they've been chasing something like that ever since and, and if they had someone like like a tony romo that was an analyst there now who, who's uh, earned nothing but uh the great success that he has as a broadcaster over the past couple of seasons, then maybe they would be slower to do this. But at the same time, I, I think it's hard, like you said, Mike, to say no to Peyton Manning right now. Like everybody wants to see him. Can you get too much Peyton Manning? Well, 
You can argue that in the past ESPN has done too much of Brett Favre or too much of Tim Tebow, but yet still their ratings were high during those times because people, some people wanted to hear about Favre or Tebow and everybody else wanted, wanted to hate hearing about Favre and Tebow, you know, that, that, that's part of it as well. So, and, and I don't think, well, we certainly haven't reached the, uh, the limit of, of uh, Peyton Manning too much yet, but uh, I like, like, I really do think that, that this has the potential to be many different things. So uh, whether it's a deep analytical thing with him and Eli, whether it's them joking back and forth with each other and um, you have to have your finger on the seven second delay. I, I don't think they'll do that. Manning, like you said, is probably too polished to, to let anything like that slip. But I, I think it's going to be I think it could be a very entertaining broadcast. And, and Mike, I think it's one that a lot of people here in Indianapolis are going to tune in to watch. Because everything he, he touches has been golden so far. It just It just has because of the way he approaches it. He's had this approach, this demeanor. Since the first day I met him at the combine in '98, he just has it, uh, and uh, it'll be a success, and it'll be interesting. And I'm curious how they bring guests, other football, you know, retired players into the into their broadcast. So I think it'll be it'll be great because Peyton <laughs> Peyton doesn't know not great, hmm. so it, it'll be good. I, I'm just kind of curious how it plays out. Last week, after we finished recording our Colts Blue Zone podcast, the Associated Press's Rob Randy reported that the Colts were one of four teams still under 50% vaccination rate for COVID-19. So in other words, the Colts are one of the least vaccinated teams in the NFL. Uh, the next day, last Friday, the NFL Network's Tom Pelissero reported that two teams specifically are below 50%, while 13 teams were above the over 85% threshold at the time. Now, just before we uh, began uh, recording the podcast today, Pelissero tweeted out again that the NFL has informed clubs that if a game cannot be rescheduled during this year's 18-week season due to a COVID outbreak among unvaccinated players, then the team with the outbreak, outbreak has to forfeit and will be credited with a loss for playoff seeding, per sources. Some pretty big implications for that. Um, Mike, this is basically the league saying, you have the opportunity to get vaccinated, we're not going to bend over backwards to try to help you like we did last year. Obviously, last year saw different circumstances than we have now. So this may be, as Chris Bauer just told us before, a personal choice for players, whether to get vaccinated or not. Well, the NFL has made a personal choice or a business choice not to let it hamper the season. And if that personal choice leads to losses for individual franchises, that's something those franchises are going to have to live with. Yeah, the, the NFL has not taken the, the full step of mandating vaccination. Uh, but they're 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 right up against the line because they're they're putting serious discipline and consequences on not being vaccinated, and that being a problem. Uh, you know the the forfeited games, if that happened, that wouldn't it didn't happen last year, and it wouldn't you know so so it's a moot point. But if if you can't play a game because of COVID, and you forfeit, the team responsible for the forfeit puts the the financial uh, freight for the for the lost game, and players from both teams won't get paid. Can you imagine the team that's fully vaccinated and healthy, their players losing a game check because you know team team two wasn't. So uh, and, and again, we've talked before about this how the, the league's already put in place how they're making it much much harder for non-vaccinated players to move forward as far as restrictions in locker rooms and, and on the road and all that. So the league's doing all they can. And the problem you're running into now is now you're talking, the non-vaccinated players are the ones that have really got their feet dug in for whatever reason. It, it could be, you know, very personal reasons on, on medical reasons. These are going to be the ones that are going to be hardest to move. Joe, this is probably going to be something that rears its ugly head this season. And with the Colts in the, bottom four teams at least of a week ago in terms of vaccination rates our our heads are gonna have to be on a swivel i think for in indianapolis media for something like this we have to realize that this is a possibility uh that we could face this season yeah it's certainly a competitive disadvantage to be one of the lower vaccinated teams in the nfl there's no there's no way around that i know a lot of people are kind of tired of hearing about this subject but it's not going to go away it's going to be something we'll be talking about week in and week out who's i remember last year even 
not only during like the the normal games, but for fantasy, it was like, okay, who got COVID this week? Who do I need to go pick up on the waiver wire or Mm -hmm. whatever? And the less vaccinated teams, it's going to be more similar to how it was last year, where if Carson Wentz uh, is a close contact, he's going to have to miss a game. If Darius Leonard is a close contact, he's going to have to miss a game. And I don't know if those specific players have been vaccinated or not. I'm just throwing out names, but it was going to be huge losses if some of the better team players in the NFL have close contacts and they're not able to suit up. One thing to keep in mind too, and you're not going to find one team that'll come out and admit this when it comes time to cut players and you're looking at your sixth corner and one guy's vaccinated and one guy's not vaccinated, uh, which one's going to get the roster spot? Uh, You know, it's not going to happen with your top tier players, but anyone who thinks that, uh, these players near the bottom of the roster are going to be treated equally. They're crazy. And and I understand it. I totally understand it from a personnel standpoint. So, and we'll see the, the, the issue. The, the problem with this is we, we talked to Jim Mercer later today and we're going to get Chris Ballard on Monday. And I just don't know how much they're going to comment on this because of the privacy issues on, on players. Maybe Jim Mercer will, maybe Chris Ballard will, but, uh, this will be an issue moving forward as long as as long as the Colts are viewed as a team that's one of the the least vaccinated teams in the league. More news around the NFL this week. The 49ers have signed linebacker Fred Warner to a five-year, $95 million extension. That came uh, yesterday, Wednesday, as we taped this podcast on Thursday. How many, million, how many million was that? $95 million and uh, $40.5 million guaranteed money. The 24-year-old becomes the NFL's top-paid off-ball linebacker. Darius Leonard will be next up for a new deal, reports ESPN's Adam Schefter. And that's really no surprise. He's been up for a new deal uh, all all summer. Uh, That's something that I'm sure that his reps and Chris Bowd have gone back and forth with uh, a few times. And uh, according to Schefter, expected to be about a four-year deal north of $19 million per year. So it's very similar to, to Fred Warner's deal, which was right around uh, 19. It is $19 million a year at five years. So it's like it's the exact same really amount of money between those two. And uh, th- those two have always been compared uh, to one another. Um, Chap, I know you, you tweeted something out kind of comparing the, their numbers and you just look at those numbers and, and the number, I don't even think you're cherry picking numbers. It, it appears very obvious that Darius Leonard has been the more productive linebacker between those two when it comes to just statistics specifically and how much he's been able to contribute on the defensive side of the ball for the Colts. Well, primarily impact plays. Right. The sacks, the interceptions, tackle for losses, forced fumbles. And, and it, it, we need to point out that they do play different positions somewhat. I mean, Leonard is the weak side to Will. And, and Warner is, is the middle linebacker, so it's a little different. But they're both what well, they both came in in 2018. Darius in round two, I think Warner was round three, I think. Uh, and I, I guess it's fair to ask how much Warner's deal impacts Leonard. I always thought Leonard was going to get four years, 20 million for an extension. I think what this kind of ensures that he'll get four years, 19 plus something, because it's the way it works. It's just the way it works. When you're next in line, you get a smidgen more. Uh, and I've also thought that maybe one of the reasons that Darius and Braden Smith's contracts aren't done yet is how the Colts have to be more creative in, in getting money to them. Uh, you know, the, the Colts aren't really a big team on signing bonuses. But if I'm Darius Leonard, I want something now. I, I want some money in my hand now. So maybe you see a... I don't know, a $10 million signing bonus and then more guaranteed money further, but uh, he's going to get his. I talk with someone and they think in the next five to seven days they get done, which means prior to camp. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're, they're, they're going to make, make two major investments in the next week and rightfully so. Joe, you look at the numbers between Leonard and Warner. I mean, Darius has nearly four times as many sacks, 15 to four, more than twice as many interceptions, seven to three three times as many forced fumbles, nine to three, 
like Chapel saying, it's those impact plays that set Darius Leonard above other other linebackers. Warner's one of the best cover linebackers in the yeah. NFL. And heck, one of the best cover linebackers we've seen in the NFL, even in his young career. So like that's one thing that the 49ers truly value in him to give him the type of va- the type of deal that he's having. But but you listen to Matt Eberflus, you listen to Chris Ballard and Frank Reich and what they want on the defensive side of the ball here in Indianapolis. And Darius Leonard is every one of those things. Yeah, he, he beats him in every statistical category and he's played six fewer games. Um, I understand Warner is a terrific coverage linebacker and that's really where he's made his $95 million. Um, but any Colts fan will argue with you that Darius Leonard is the best linebacker in the NFL, whether uh, experts and analysis across the league, maybe a little less biased would agree with that or not. Um, I, I think Darius and Fred Warner are both right up there among the top linebackers in the NFL especially the top young linebackers. Uh, both these guys um, have plenty, plenty left in the tank. On Tuesday, news broke that Rams starting run back, uh, running back, running back, Cam Akers tore his Achilles tendon, and he's out for the year. The Rams had certainly been hoping for a lot from him. It, this is the curse of Matthew Stafford. He's just never able to have a running game, no matter where he goes. Very unfortunate for, for him, for the Rams, for uh, for that entire group uh, to, to lose a guy they had Certainly high hopes for this year. A guy that fantasy owners had high hopes for this year, Joe. I'm sure he was one of the most uh, your, your <sighs> my, side. My, my dynasty team was hurting after that. That's brutal. That's brutal. But it, it got us thinking, who are the top five most irreplaceable Colts entering 2021? We'll call this the uh, the Anthony Costanzo Memorial most irreplaceable Colts uh, because he was always number one on Mike Chappell's list and for, for good reason over the years. Uh, the numbers that you've seen here before on the Colts Blue Zone podcast, which, by the way, you can subscribe to us, get us delivered to your podcast listening device every week. You can follow us online on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone to get updated on Colts news and notes throughout the week. But right now we're talking most indispensable Colts entering 2021. Uh, Joe, how do you want to do this? Do you want to go each person goes five through one and then uh, the next person goes that that sound like a good idea to you? Yeah. OK. All right. So so I'll go first. Um, top five most indispensable Colts entering 2021. Uh, my number five is T.Y. Hilton. I think that Hilton deserves a spot on here because of his contributions to the team in the past. Number one, similar to Costanzo, the numbers that they have had, whether he is playing or whether he is not playing in terms of wins and losses. It's been a whole lot more difficult to win games when T.Y. is not on the field. Um, this year, I think if you have healthy wide receivers behind him, there is more behind him as there have been in years past. So that's why I can't really move him up too much past number five to me. Number four is Darius Leonard, uh, kind of going off the conversation we had just a minute or two ago. He does what Matt Eberflus needs in that defense. And that is create those game changing plays as the forced fumbles, the sacks, the interceptions better than probably any linebacker in the NFL. So if you have a guy that's that key to your spot, uh, Darius Leonard's going to be there. Number three is DeForest Buckner. Right now, the Colts have questionable pass rush at best. You got rid of both of your starting defensive ends. Um, the guys who both had the ability, certainly, to get to the quarterback. Buckner absolutely did, too. But with big question marks on the outside um, entering this year, he needs to be stronger than ever on the inside. And if he goes down, I think there's some depth there. But nevertheless, Buckner is different. Uh, so I put him up there at number three and you, you also, you always forget about running game too. And the Colts defense was one of the best in the NFL last year against the run. And that, that goes with both Grover Stewart and, uh, DeForest Buckner kind of combined on the inside. Both of them play a huge role, but I lean Buckner obviously to put him in the top five because of, uh, the, the game wrecking ability that he has there from the inside. Um, number two on my list is Eric Fisher. I have to put a left tackle up there just (laughs) Because Anthony Costanzo isn't there doesn't mean it's all any less important of a position. And when you're back up, as we've said, again, I'm, I'm quoting uh, Los Angeles Bolt Beat uh, on this in the past. Sam Dev- Tevy was a, quote, unmitigated disaster, end quote, for the Chargers in 2020. Uh, you you want Eric Fisher in there as soon as possible. Maybe Tevy turns around and has a breakthrough and, and, and takes a significant step forward, but he's still not going to be Eric Fisher. He's not going to be a two-time pro bowler in the last three seasons and a former number one overall pick and that type of talent. So you want him there as soon as possible to protect Carson Wentz. Number one for me is Carson Wentz. He hasn't taken a single snap for the Colts, but look who they have behind him. They have two guys who've never taken a snap before in their NFL careers uh, in, in Jacob Eason and in Sam Ellinger. 
and one of them is a rookie. One of them is kind of a rookie uh, <laughs> because he barely had an offseason last year. And yeah, the, the, the season, I'm sure, was very helpful for him. Um, but at the same time, there's there's no replacement for experience. And they have none, absolutely none behind Carson Wentz. So uh, for those, th- those are my top five. And I think there's certainly some wiggle room with the order. But I was I was pretty set on those five. I thought about Kenny Moore. I thought about Xavier Rhodes. Um, and I think you can argue that they deserve a place if you want. But uh, nevertheless, th- those are my top five most indispensable, Colts, most irreplaceable Colts. Joe, you'll go next. Chap, you'll you'll round things out to uh, to straighten us all out when uh, after after our thoughts. So go ahead, Joe. Yeah, I got to say, two of your top five didn't make my list. And uh, T.Y. Hilton, just because I feel like the other receivers behind him. I was going to say, yeah, you, you love Pittman. You do. I, I, I you, do. Yes, you've I, made that very well known. Yeah. <laughs> I love Pittman, and I, I like Paris Campbell when he's healthy. Um, whereas in years past, I don't think that depth behind him has been there. Uh, it's debatable who's going to even be the Colts' top receiver by the end of the year. So. Uh, I left uh, Hilton off and I left Fisher off because they're going to have to replace him to start the year. Uh, so I, I guess that'll be a good argument in October to see how big of a, a difference that makes. Yes, we shall see. <laughs> we shall see. Um, but starting at number five for me, I have Quentin Nelson uh, just because of the massive impact he makes on the offensive line and has made since entering the Colts lineup uh, back in 2018. If Sam Tevy is an unmitigated disaster for the Colts to start the year, we may see Quentin Nelson move over to left tackle if things are that bad for the Colts. Stop and so it. That- Stop it. Don't. He's, he's not playing left tackle. Stop it. <laughs> he has in the past, Mike. <laughs> for like two plays. If Sam Tevy's that bad and Davenport's that bad, I think they're moving him out to left tackle. Um, but again, we shall see. Number four. I have Kenny Moore. Uh, we've referenced several times what happened uh, back in, I think, 2019 when Kenny Moore missed some time uh, and the Colts season really just unraveled defensively in the roughly four or five games that he missed. So Kenny Moore, very important. Uh, number three, I have Darius Leonard. It was really close between him and Kenny Moore, but I feel like the difference between now and 2019 is – there's actually better cornerback depth now on the Colts roster. If TJ Carey has to come in and play the slot, I don't think that's the worst scenario um, for a backup there. Whereas if Darius Leonard goes down, all of a sudden your top linebacker is Bobby Okariki, and then you have Zaire Franklin and EJ Speed and Matthew Adams. Those guys are all of a sudden have to start for you. So I feel like Darius Leonard is less replaceable this year than in years past simply because of what's behind him. Uh, number two, DeForest Buckner. I mean, j- just look at the Tennessee game last year that he missed, and Derrick Henry ran all over them. Uh, the Titans really just owned the Colts um, in terms of how efficient they were on offense, and the Colts just had no answers when the Titans came to Indianapolis. And then, like you said, Dave, Buckner needs to be the guy this year because there's no other established pass rusher on the team. And, of course, number one, Carson Wentz. The quarterback is on every single team the most important position, uh, and Carson Wentz will decide how the season goes for the Colts. He just will. If he plays well, the Colts are going to the playoffs, and they might do some damage in the playoffs. If he doesn't, uh, we could a year from now be looking at Chris Ballard like we still need to figure out this quarterback situation. We we can dive into a little bit more discussion on this as we discuss defense for sure, especially with uh, like. The, the idea of who's more irreplaceable in the secondary or in the, in the linebacking core. Absolutely. So Mike, why don't you give us your, your top five most irreplaceable Colts? Yeah. In honor of Costanzo, number five is Fisher because, and again, I realized that they'll play the first month without him. And that may show us how indispensable he is. Irreplaceable he is. I just think if you, if you don't have a left tackle, you've got a handicapped offense and we'll see. Number four, and Joe, you can't you can't throw obscenities at me at all, but I've got Jonathan Taylor. I know you're not a big running back guy, but but what these guys <laughs> what these guys want to do offensively, it starts with the run game, and a lot of my irreplaceable players are who's behind you, and hey, we think Marlon Mack's a pretty good backup. We don't know because he's coming off the Achilles. 
and I think if you take Jonathan Taylor out of the mix with the with the uncertainty of Mac, then then you're you're going to be asking Naheem Hines to do something that he thinks he can do as far as carry the load, but I'm not 100% sure of, and it and it limits his impact elsewhere. So I I I, I like. I like Taylor there. Three is Leonard. For everything you said, Joe, in the path with Walker here, they could sort of mix and match if they had to. But but the proven starters, starter quality players behind Leonard, it's Bobby Okariki, period. Number two is Buckner. And again, all you have to do is look at the Tennessee game when, when, when they just simply couldn't play defense the way they want it. And keep in mind, they gave – they gave up the 13th pick in the draft and $84 million in extensions for a reason. Sometimes moves don't work out and sometimes they do. And as you've mentioned, he's, he's such a catalyst and he makes the outside pass rushers better because he crashes the center of the, of the D of the offensive line and wins. We're going to be writing talking about this until it's not an issue. And if we're still talking about Carson Wentz being a question mark, if we're doing that in October, the Colt, the Colts are in bad shape. Because, again, th- there's not a quarterback on the roster outside of him that's played an NFL game. So, you know, I, I just – Wentz, Buckner, Leonard, Fisher, and Taylor, I, I didn't put T.Y. on there. I understand they're like one and whatever, nine or ten without him. I think those days of his influence, of that type of influence, is past. It, it's they've got to get more out of Pittman and uh, and Campbell and and, and Pascal, and I, I couldn't put Nelson on there. I I'm not a guard hater. I'm not. I'm really I'm really not. But I think they can play more. Now we're talking like a month. We're not. I'm not talking 16 games. I think I think they can. I think they can muddle through at guard. Who's the guy they got? Chris Reed. From Carolina. Chris Reed or Danny Pinter. Danny Pinter. I, I, I think they can make do there. I still would put the left tackle. I would put Ryan Kelly as, as far as irreplaceable, as far as, boy, if we're without this guy for six weeks, two months, what do we do? I think as much as Nelson does to this team, and again, he might be their best player, but I don't think he's one of my five top irreplaceable players for a short term. Yeah, I, I like I like the thought. I'm going to defend my Eric Fisher take a bit since both of you had him either further down or off your list entirely. I, I think that like if Fisher is out, that makes it more likely that Carson Wentz gets knocked out as well. So I think that's why one reason I moved him up on the list. And if Fisher is out, that means you do less with your offense because you need to chip the guy over there. Or you need to have two guys, whether it's a tight end staying in to block more. So Frank Reich's offense is a little bit limited. I think that's where I was coming from. Mike, I, I love your point about Jonathan Taylor, though, that uh, that the Colts really want to ride him and you don't know as much about Marlon Mack. I, I, I lean toward like I, I'm I'm better, in my opinion, with like I feel better about the backup running backs because at least Marlon Mack's done it in the past. He's been a thousand yard rusher, whether as wide receivers, like they haven't really done it in the past. Pittman did better at the end of last year, but he only caught one touchdown all last season. Paris Campbell's been effective when healthy, but he hasn't stayed healthy. So I think there are more quarterbacks in wide receiver depth. So that's why I put T.Y. Hilton there over uh, over Jonathan Taylor. But but like I said, I think that there, that's a good argument to have him up there because of how much the Colts want to ride him and him being uh, a very much the, the primary back of this offense and the primary way to move the ball downfield. And Quentin Nelson didn't make your list. No, he did not. Sorry. Just, uh, just fish, just Fisher. But because I mean, why though? I mean, we talked about this. Nelson is arguably their best player. Yes. Yet he's not the most, one of the most irreplaceable. It, it seems a strange, you know, issue. But in my mind, and apparently yours too, it's not. No, I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Position. You could have argued for years that Justin Tucker was the Ravens' best player, but he's not their most indispensable. Yep. So it's just position value. True. True. Let's get to our training camp preview on defense. I'm sure we'll dive into a little bit more of the uh, the intricacies of uh, which uh, players are more um, valuable on this side of the ball, too, uh, throughout this discussion. But we'll start with the defensive ends. You got rid of Justin Houston and Danico Autry last year, both of your starting defensive ends. So uh, a new look group. Quiddy Pay, the 21st overall pick out of Michigan, will probably be a starter. 
the other side, maybe a little bit more in question, but you think maybe Taekwon Lewis has the inside track at that right now, a second round pick in 2018, entering his fourth NFL season. After that, Kamoko Ture in his fourth NFL season as well, also a second round pick in 2018. Ben Bangu, a second round pick from 2019, was a healthy scratch in eight of his last 10 games last season. You got al Muhammad, who's been a pretty solid backup, I think, for the Colts for the past couple years. Isaac Rochelle, who they brought over on a deal, a free agent deal from the Chargers last year. And rookie Dio Odangbo, uh, rookie, uh, out of Vanderbilt, the 54th overall pick in this last draft, who tore his Achilles in January. So, Mike, when you look at this group, uh, you certainly see some potential. A lot of young guys, but no one that makes you look at it immediately and feel comfortable that they can get uh, that they can even approach double digit sacks. I think if you had Justin Houston, you're like, I'm pretty comfortable that if he's healthy, he can at least approach double digit sacks. And I think he had 10 last year, nine right around that range. So uh, there's a lot more questionable. I think it's a much more questionable group than it was last year. You know, I wouldn't argue if they brought Justin Houston back. I wouldn't. I mean, he's still out there. He, he won't be. They, they won't. One of the reasons is that they don't want him to take up snaps from the younger players. But what's really amazing about this group, Kamoko Ture is going into a contract year. This is his fourth year. And you still don't know what you have. It, it's it, it's almost Paris Campbell at, at the position because of injury. Uh, and boy, when he's out there, you see this guy, he might be a 10, 12 sack guy just because of the way he plays. And then he has his serious injuries and that, that ankle that he, that he dislocated and tore ligaments and all that against the chiefs, uh, in what was it? 19, uh, yeah, 19, it, it lingered into last year. Remember he had to have a follow-up surgery this off season, uh, to deal with it. So. I, I, I like the potential. The problem with potential means is you haven't done it. Quiddy Page got to be a factor. He's got to be a factor from the start. Uh, Deo, I, I fully expect him to open up the season on Pup, which means probably what the first, is it seven or eight games? He's out. I think that's what uh, Kamoko Trey had last year. So in, in the player that's probably – on the on the cusp of really being a player is Taekwon Lewis. We saw that last year, and he really got his act together physically, mentally, and he will be given every chance to be that left end. And he's a great kid, and, and he's got to carry the load that uh, they're losing with, with Houston. And, and Danico Autry, people shouldn't uh, dismiss his his – what they're losing with Danico Autry because he was a darn good all-around player. Joe, when you look at this group, uh, Quiddy Pay is probably the one that a lot of Colts fans will be most excited about just because he's a first-round pick. And uh, you point out he had eight and a half sacks over his last 16 games, so he might have started his career out slower at Michigan. It came on stronger later, obviously, so you saw some development. That's what you want to see if you're taking a rookie. Yeah, and you got to remember the Big Ten had a shortened season uh, this past year because of COVID. I think they only played six games. Six or seven games, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, he could have probably bumped those numbers up a little more in his final year. And at Michigan, they moved him around everywhere. We talked about this. They had him playing inside, outside. They moved him everywhere. With the Colts, they're going to put him at right end and say, go get the quarterback. And so he can just really focus on one thing. I think the sky's the limit for this guy. It's just really a question mark of how soon can the light turn on for Quiddy Pay and the Colts need it to turn on immediately, like right now. Yeah, I, I'm like I think you're higher on Quiddy than I am right now because I mean we've talked about this in the past. Like, what would be a good year for him? We talk about sack numbers. I think if you're a Colts fan, you're, you're thrilled if he gets over five sacks this year. I think you have to be thrilled if he gets over five sacks this year because, like I said, he's a rookie. He, he's a 21st overall pick. If there's a consensus among NFL GMs and scouts that this guy can be a 10 sack guy year after year, he's going to go higher than 21. He just is in my mind. Like you're not going to have guys taken above him that are, that are linebackers or, or other defensive ends or like, or, or like you, you want a playmaker like that on your team. So if there is more of an idea around the league that he is certainly going to be up there, that's great. He, he has an amazing story, not a good story, an amazing story. He seems like a hard worker, not just a good worker, but a genuinely hard worker. 
But for him to fall that much in the draft, in spite of being a physical specimen and a workout warrior, I guess, is a term that people throw around. I, I, I'm just I'm just not as bullish as other people on, on Quiddy Pay. And, and maybe he proved me wrong, and that's great. And he's up there at seven and a half or eight, nine sacks this year. Then you're absolutely ecstatic about what he's done. He's in the running for NFL's Rookie of the Year. That's fantastic. But I just don't know if he has that in him for this first year. I just I just don't. We we will see. We'll find out. That's what training camp of the season is for. But I I I, I just I don't know, Mike. I, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer over here. But at the same time, I I'm just not ready to hop on board the Quiddy Pay train just yet. Well, and one thing that's going to be working against him is he he won't have that left side complement that that will take some pressure off of him. It's not like Freeney and Mathis to where which one you're going to do. So, you know, if teams say we're not going to let this guy beat us, uh, they can do that. And then who on the left side takes pressure off? That's why DeForest Buckner's presence is so huge. It should give him some one-on-ones. But when you don't have that left side compliment, Tyquan Lewis is, well, I think he's going to be a really good player this year. He's not shown any reason to think that he commands that kind of attention. So who will, t- outside of DeForest Buckner, who takes pressure off Quiddy Pay in pass rush situations? Let's get to DeForest Buckner and the defensive tackles. That's a question the Colts certainly have to answer. But, Joe, do you want to say something? Yeah, real quick. So do we think all these defense fins make the team? Will, are they going to put Dale on Pup and carry one, two, three, four, five, six players, including Isaac Rochelle and Al-Kadim Muhammad? Uh, one, of the, one of these guys isn't going to make it. So whether it's Banigou or Rochelle or Muhammad? I, 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 I don't know how unless he simply – and I'm not here to bash Banigou. I'm just not. Nice kid. But if he doesn't flash in training camp, when do you think the light's going to go on? And I realize having having Justin Houston the last few years, it, it took away some of Banigou's snaps. But he was so many times a healthy scratch. And at some point, you simply have to cut bait and say, that, hey, maybe he goes – Maybe he's Jerry Hughes and he goes to somewhere and has a, a really a strong career. But uh, I think Ben Banigou has to really flash in camp and in preseason games to stick this year. Last three years, the Colts have kept four defensive ends, five defensive ends, and four defensive ends on the roster, Joe. So that, that tells you that having six is, I think, completely out of the question. Yeah. So I think they'll probably keep the five just because guys like Rochelle and Lewis can move inside to tackle if they need to. Mm -hmm. They've also kept five defensive tackles on the roster each of the past three seasons. So you look at uh, what the depth they have there. DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart are cemented one and two. After that, Taylor Stallworth, who saw some play for them last year, particularly in the big sets, the goal line sets. Uh, Antoine Woods, who signed a one-year deal this offseason. Andrew Brown was claimed off waivers from Houston in March. Rob Windsor was a draft pick last year. Cameron Klein and Chris Williams, an undrafted uh, rookie out of uh, Wagner, of course, the uh, the stupendous program of of Wagner. Um, So uh, I don't know too much about the depth here, Chap, and I'm sure that you're on the same page as me. Like, there's a lot of names down there that are completely unproven. But when you look at one, two, you got to be really happy with those one, two, assuming they stay healthy. Grover Stewart really came on last year, and DeForest Buckner was everything the Colts hoped for and got out of that trade with the 49ers. Well, remember, Ballard gave Stewart an extension last year, too. Yep. And you, you give extensions to players who you believe are, are going to be part of your future. Uh, depth-wise, again, you, you can move guys inside. But, you know, to me, you've got to leave Tyquan Lewis outside. You just let, let him develop at, at, at a position. So, you know, the, the Taylor Stallworth and, and Antoine Woods, they give you proven depth they've played. I mean, uh, Woods played, hasn't he started the last three years uh, with Dallas, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, he had 32 career starts. I think last year he didn't play quite as much as he had in years past, but he he's been a starter for several years in Dallas. So so that then they're then they're looking they're looking for rotational guys to take to take a, a few snaps away from Buckner when needed and Grover. So I I like the group. Maybe you keep four and five defensive ends. Five and five seems a bit much, but uh, I from talking to Matt Eberflus during the offseason, he loves the depth. He loves what he's going to get competition-wise, and that's what you want. You want to have tough decisions uh, at the end of August. Joe, this looked like a good group to you, especially on the top? Especially on the top. I think, I mean, I'm kind of hoping 
Rob Windsor comes on a little bit in his second year, I think it's a possibility, and he works a little bit more into the rotation. Uh, he appeared in just two games as a rookie, but he's going to be down the depth chart. I think Stallworth is going to be that third guy, and then Robert Windsor is really going to battle with Antoine Woods for who gets that next position there. Let's go to linebackers. Darius Leonard, obviously. Bobby Okariki, obviously. Without Anthony Walker Jr. on this team anymore, those are one, two. Out of Syracuse University, you have Zaire Franklin, a special team stalwart who maybe has the inside track to being the starter on the at the SAM position. Starter in quotation marks, I'll put that there because of their uh, propensity to play out of the uh, the nickel package rather than the, the base 4-3. Um, let's turn the page this way so I can find it. EJ Speed, Matthew Adams, Jordan Glasgow were all on the roster last year. Um, Sky Moore, a practice squad player a year ago. Malik Jefferson, they signed. Uh, to a one-year deal this offseason, a former uh, former higher pick, third-round pick in 2018 out of Texas, and uh, Isaiah Kafusi, a rookie undrafted out of BYU. So that's your linebacking group right now. Uh, I think there's a lot of excitement, Joe, that Bobby Okariki is going to get more playing time. At the same time, though, Anthony Walker was a guy that guys liked in the locker room, so you wonder how the just the rapport is going to be in that group. You take out a guy like that, and you never know. You anticipate that it's going to be okay, but you certainly never know. Um but the people are expecting better things out of Bobby this year. And so he's going to be certainly one of the key cogs. If the defense can be as good as people hope it to be. And he has to step up. He really, I looked at the snaps, him and Walker basically split snaps last year. They were pretty even. Um, Okariki actually played more higher snap percentages towards the first half of the year. And some of that had to do with um, Darius Leonard missing a couple games there, but uh, his snap rate came down to, towards the end of the season, but it, it never fell short of 60, 70%. Um, so his snap rate's going to go up. He's going to have to step up and become a the consistent, reliable player that Anthony Walker has been. But the reason people are excited is because uh, he has the potential to be more than just consistent and reliable. He has the potential to make more splash plays, kind of sort of like a Darius Leonard does, rather than just always doing the small things well, which is what Walker was. I think, Mike, that uh, Darius is more valuable to the team this year than he was last year because Walker is out the door. You need him to be there on the field, which he hasn't played all 16 games, which would be 17, I guess, now in 2021. But he's never played a full season. He's always been nicked up a little bit. You certainly want him to be on the field, particularly early in the year, as Okariki is adjusting to being the guy instead of just sharing time with Walker. Yeah, and we talked uh, quite a while ago about Anthony Walker. He had the the unfortunate situation of being the odd man out at a position that you're generally not going to pay prime money to. You just aren't. Not not when you've got other guys in the pipeline like Darius and Braden Smith and maybe Naheem Hines. Uh, so so that's one where after four years you try to move on and get younger and I don't know if you get better or not. The, the problem with this group is you you really lack Leonard and Okariki, and the rest of these linebackers while you like them. They've primarily been special teams players. I mean, almost top to bottom. You know, Franklin Adams, EJ Speed, remember the block punt at Tennessee? Uh, Jordan Glasgow, Sky Moore. You really like these guys, but but now's the time that they've got to step up. Zaire Franklin, I think he gets, like you mentioned, the the early look as, as a third linebacker. And how much do they play three linebackers this year? I, I don't know. The, 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 as much as you play sub packages in the NFL, maybe that's played into it also getting rid of Anthony Walker. But uh, two or two or three of these guys really need to step up and do things that they haven't done yet. I think Let's they go, to cool. re- go ahead. They really, really like the possibility of EJ Speed because of what he brings. That's music to Joe's ears. Yeah, I like EJ Speed just because of his athleticism. That's the reason they drafted him in the first place. Um, who's not going to make the cut, guys? I mean, how many linebackers are the Colts going to carry? They've carried six, six, and seven the last three years. Last year was seven. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six. I think I think six can make the cut very easily this year. You go with uh, Leonard and Okariki and Zaire Franklin. I think are all but set. Uh, and EJ Speed. Speed as well. That's four that are all I think but Glass- set. Jordan, Glasgow, Glasgow I think is set. Team. Yeah, they're at five. And then Adams, Moore, and Malik Jefferson, um, one of those three, I think, probably makes the cut to make it six. I don't think they get to seven this year. Well, and, and, and keep in mind, too, the, the, way, the way rosters are anymore, and players don't care for it, but with the practice squad, you, a couple of these guys may land there, which they're, they're not on the roster, 
but they're sort of on the roster and they're available to you. But they, they love linebackers because there's the, the core of their special teams are linebackers. I think the three of the top four special teams guys last year after after George Odom were linebackers. You think that's about right, Joe? I think that's okay. about right. I, I think I think Jefferson might make it because he has been a great special teamer the last three years. Very athletic player, ran like four five two forty. Um, just never became the starting linebacker the Bengals hoped for when they drafted him. But I think he could be a very good special teams player. And the Colts love those speedy linebackers, and he's got speed. Cornerbacks now. Kenny Moore in entering his fifth NFL season was originally a waiver claim back in September 2017, and Chris Ballard begrudgingly took him off way the waivers. Uh, was, this was not this was not a miracle Chris Ballard find by any stretch. He, they, had, he got him, they had to talk him into it. Yeah, he, he got him to, to fill a spot. He didn't they, fit the profile. He didn't at all fit the profile, but now he certainly does. Uh, Xavier Rhodes entering his ninth NFL season was signed on a one-year deal last year, did very well, came back for another one-year deal this year. So he's your number one on the outside. Rock seen in his third NFL season uh, has played 13 games, eight starts uh, in 2020. TJ Carey, really the backup to Moore at the, um, at the uh, inside corner position. Marvell Tell took last year off. Isaiah Rogers, another more here. Maybe he can play outside as well in the corner, um, entering his second NFL season, also a kick returner. Um, and then uh, you have Andre Satchery and Anthony Chesley uh, down there near the end uh, of the roster at cornerback. Um, out of all these these guys here, um, you look at Moore and Rhodes, certainly the most indispensable. Joe, I think you make a good point earlier that TJ Carey can fill in behind uh, Kenny Moore as more of a backup. So I think you can even make the argument that Xavier Rhodes is the more indispensable of the group because behind him you have Rocky Seen, who has been up and down at best in his uh, two years so far, and Marvell Tell, who you have no idea what he's going to be coming back from a year where he took off due to COVID, and Isaiah Rogers, who got very little playing time, really a corner in previous years. So you look at that group, and, and either one of those two, you can make a good argument as being, quote-unquote, an indispensable player, either Moore or Rhodes. Yeah, and ter- uh, TJ Carey started taking over some of Rocky Sin snaps when he was struggling uh, during the during the season. So uh, I, I like Carey as a good fourth corner because he could fill in wherever needed, whether in the slot or outside. Um, I'm kind of hopeful for both Tell and Rogers, two young cornerbacks with uh, exciting physical gifts. Marvell tells the big guy six foot two. Rogers only 510, but I mean, we know how fast he is. We saw his speed on that kickoff return against the Browns. So he certainly has the speed to play outside. And I think this is pretty chalk as far as how it goes down. I mean, we know the top corners there. And then uh, Andre Chashery, is that how you pronounce it? I said Satchery, I don't know. Satchery, yeah, we don't even know how to pronounce these guys' names at no the bottom. No disrespect intended. No disrespect, no, no. But um, him and Anthony Chesley, I don't think are going to make a good push for the team. Joe, can you bring us to the finish? I got a look out there. I think that I need to take off. Yeah, I'll I'm, go okay, ahead. Cool. I'll Sorry about that, up. guys. Yep, see you in a bit. No, you're fine. Go be on TV. Yeah. <laughs> Just go, me go, and you, Mike. Go, go big timers. That's right. Uh, you know, maybe next week I'll get pulled off the podcast and they'll put me on TV, but uh, I'll keep well, keep my fingers crossed. Pulled, hopefully you'll be pulled off and put in handcuffs. Oh, oh, all right, Mike. Look out. <laughs> all right, Mike, we are now moving on to safeties. Uh, I think the first two are pretty obvious. Kari Willis has been nothing but rock solid since the Colts drafted him in the fourth round of the 2019 draft. Uh, became really the full-time starter last year with 14 starts. Uh, career highs in 85 total tackles, two on interceptions, and six passes defended. And then Julian Blackman. Mike, we didn't expect this guy to make the impact that he did as a rookie coming off the knee injury that he suffered um, late in his college career. But he came in and he had, uh, let's see, 14 starts as a rookie, two interceptions, six passes defended, 42 total tackles. This has to be a position the Colts are excited about as a young duo at safety. No question. And keep in mind, Blackman, uh, as the season began, he was a limited practice guy for the first part of the season. And, you know, I think they sort of thought he might be eased into it and and he steps in and and makes an impact right away. Sealed the Cincinnati game with the interception, uh, made the forced fumble against the Packers in overtime. Uh, That's what you you want – the game is about playmakers. 
It's about it, it's DeForest Buckner and Darius Leonard, and it's it's Julian Blackman and, and, and players like that. And the question is, what kind of depth do they have? And, and we don't know. You know, George Odom is is the experience back there, but he's he's sort of emerged as that special teams guy. But he played he's played back up before at safety. And, and the two Davis guys, you just don't know. Uh, I think last year they kept four safeties. They'll probably keep four again. And you just, Roland Milligan, we don't we don't know. So it's I think after you get past the starters, there's a lot of competition for the backup job. Yeah, I think I think Blackman, Willis, and George Odom are locked in. Odom, first team All Pro, is a special teamer last year. Uh, he's on final year of his deal. Colts tendered him at one year, two point one million in the off season, and uh, he was none too happy about it. Thought he deserved a little higher payday, and he may, but that payday. Uh, we'll have to wait for another year before he hits free agency. I think you're right. The two Sean Davises, the one, the veteran that the Colts signed um, from the Steelers, a former second round pick of the Steelers, but he hadn't played much the last two years. I know 2019, he had a season ending injury in week two. I believe it was a shoulder injury. And then last year, really, he mo- mostly played special teams for Pittsburgh. Um, so he really hasn't been a big factor in two years, even though he does have the second round draft capital behind him. And then the Colts took in the fifth round of this past uh, April draft, Sean Davis spelled with a W, Sean, out of Florida. Um, he's a guy kind of seen as a hard hitting safety, tough guy with attitude at the back end. Um, I imagine he'll probably make the team if I had to guess. Uh, I think Odom. Uh, Kari Willis, Julian Blackman, and maybe the two Sean Davises are the front runners to make the team at safety with, you know, whoever's not starting, whoever's not Kari Willis or Julian Blackman, that is, uh, playing a lot of special team snaps. And that, and that's what, why training camps can be really important for at certain positions, including uh, corner and safety, because after you get past the top two or three guys, there's a lot of question marks. And that, that's what camp's all about is finding out guys that you like, but do you like them enough to keep them on your roster? Absolutely. Mike, if you had to guess uh, before we wrap things up, who's going to be that third safety who either comes in and spells uh, either starter or has to start a couple games if someone gets injured? I think Godem can do it. I think he, he's done it before. He, he, he's got some starts uh, on his resume. Milligan, again, you don't know because he opted out, out to that last year. And the rest of them, like you said, Sean Davis from the Steelers sort of lost his his, his defensive job the last couple of years, and there's always a reason for that. Maybe the fresh start will do it, but my, my money will be on George Odom because I think he realizes that as great as it is to be a first-team All-Pro special teamer, the money comes from being a position player, and I think he wants to get out there and, and get some snaps on, on that, that safety on defense. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you with Odom. He played just 25 defensive snaps last season, um, but he has started in years past. I specifically remember the Kansas City game uh, against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs that we keep coming back to. He started in that contest um, because of an injury to Malik Hooker. Um, So that's going to wrap things up today on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Make sure to subscribe. Uh, so that you get our podcast sent directly to your listening device week after week. Download for us. Really, that's what keeps me in business here. Even if you don't listen, please just download for us. Um, And next week, players will be in town for training camp, Mike. We've already kind of teased that we're going to get Ballard, Frank Wright, um, Jim Irsay later today. You're going to speak with Jim Irsay. So we'll have some... uh, some comments to break down from not only the Colts leadership, but we're going to get a few players next week as well. So that'll be something to look forward to. Um, Again, thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week, Colts fans.